Uh, today we're gonna we're gonna start a uh, a brand new series, uh, and it's called Neighboring, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. And uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at four really important topics and issues that are kind of in our world today, uh, and talk about how do how do we neighbor those who may need our help or th- those who might be different than us. What what is what does loving your neighbor as yourself really look like? Today, I want to start with uh, one that's, that's kind of a big subject, uh, but I think it's really important because I believe that the church is actually called to be part of the solution, not part of the problem, right? That's, that's, that's who we are. We, we have the hope of the world within us, and that is Jesus Christ. And um, the topic of what I want to talk to you about today is, is just a lighthearted uh, subject called racism. Last week, we were taking questions. Uh, we, we were finishing up our series on, on the home, Bless This Home, and we had a panel of people here. And, uh, and one of the questions that came through that I didn't read, that I didn't respond to, uh, was this question right here. My two adult children were raised in the church, but have fallen away due to racism and now equate Christianity with racist people. Uh, when I read that, uh, in the moment, I was thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know how to respond to this. Right, right here, and uh, so I didn't, and and, and I, I wanted, but I wanted to respond to it, uh, not just because anytime one person has a question, we should just you know blanket it to everybody, but but I do think that if we're going to go into a series on how do we love our neighbor as ourselves, this clearly is something that we have to uh, address and and talk about, especially in our country. This isn't a political statement. This isn't anything beyond that. This is just a, a Jesus statement, and. Uh, and so for us as a church, I think by and large, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think we are overtly racist in our church, but I, I don't know that we always do the best at uh, being part of the solution. Uh, and so I just thought, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's, let's just see what the Bible has to say. Uh, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 10, and there's this interesting encounter that Jesus has with an expert in the law. Right, This guy comes up to Jesus, and he asks him a question. The, the expert in the law says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus does what he often does. Jesus uh, answers a question with a question. Right? It's terribly frustrating. But, but he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And, and and this expert in the law says, well, uh, it, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, exactly, you got it. That's exactly right. You, you hit the nail on the head, that's it. go and do that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you just go and do that, you will inherit eternal life. And the guy says, Okay, okay. He's, he's not the quickest tool, you know, the sharpest tool in the shed. But he, he says, okay, I'm supposed to love God, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And so he asks this very pointed, clarifying question. The guy in verse 29 wants to justify himself, and he knows he's supposed to love his neighbor. So he asks Jesus, he says, okay, okay, then who is my neighbor? I'm, I'm supposed to love people, but, but who exactly do I love? Come on. Like, like, 
Jesus, do I have to love people who listen to different music than me? They listen to the wrong music, I listen to the right music. Surely you're not asking me to love those people. Do, do, do I have to love people who, who weren't educated in the same way that I was educated? Clearly, I'm an important person, and I have an education that they don't have. And so, therefore, you're, surely you're not asking me to hang around and love dumb people. Right? That, that's what he's asking. So he, he says, do I have to love people who, uh, and I'll just throw this one out, do I have to love people who have tattoos and piercings and ear piercings and body piercings and all kinds of piercings. Like, surely I don't have to love those people. Do I have to love those people who have a different accent than me, speak a different language than I do? Jesus, surely you're not asking me to love someone who has a different color of skin than me. I, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but surely you're not including people who are different than me. Who is my neighbor? And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't answer that question. Jesus doesn't tell him who his neighbor is because Jesus is operating under the assumption that everyone is our neighbor, everyone. And so instead, what Jesus does is he doesn't tell them who his, he doesn't tell him who his neighbor is. Instead, Jesus tells him, "This is how you love your neighbor." And he tells a story. It's a it's a familiar story. Many of us have heard it. Uh, very rarely do we actually begin to apply it to our our own personal life. So he tells this story that there's this guy. Right? There's this, this guy, this Jewish guy, and he's on his way on, on the road to Jericho, and all of a sudden, two, uh, two robbers come out and, and beat the ever-living chunk out of this guy to a bloody pulp, and they leave him for dead. And so two other guys end up walking by this guy, the first is a priest. He's a Jewish priest. And so he's, this Jewish priest sees this Jewish brother laying over there, assumedly dying. I mean, the assumption is that if he doesn't get medical attention, he is going to die. And so this Jewish priest walks along the road. He sees him, and instead of going and helping him, he continues to walk on by. Now, it, it, it might be somewhat understandable why. Right? Because if, if this guy, if he assumes that this man is already dead, if he as a priest goes near a dead body, then that means he's unclean. If he even goes and touches someone who is unclean, then he himself becomes unceremonially, uh, becomes unceremonially unclean. No, ceremonially unclean. What's that? That was too many uns. He, he becomes ceremonially unclean and therefore can't go into the temple that day. And so it could be under the assumption that, that he just felt like it was going to cost him too much. But then this other guy, this Levite, he comes by, he walks by, he sees this wounded man. And the Levite does the same thing that the Jewish priest did. He just pretends like he doesn't see him and walks by. And then Jesus says three words. Three words that absolutely shocked this crowd. Three words that, that, they're, that left this crowd's jaws on the floor. This is how shocking this was. Three words. He says, but a Samaritan. 
but a Samaritan. And the reason this is shocking is because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Hated the Samaritans. Like seven, 700 years of hate fest, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because 700 years prior to this story happening, whenever the Jews were exiled, some of them were left behind. They actually intermarried with some from a different race. They married people who, whose race worshipped pagan gods. And when they reproduced, they had children that were from a mixed race. And one race worshipped pagan gods. The Jewish people hated the offspring who were known as Samaritans. Hated them. And so the Samaritans did what every normal human being does when they are hated, is they hate them back. And so there was this hate fest going on. And so this was so shocking to this crowd because this Samaritan guy who would have been hated by the Jewish guy did one simple act. Instead of walking down the street, he walked across the street. He took pity on another human being, and even though he was from a different race, even though the man probably wouldn't have done the same thing for him had the roles been reversed, and yet he walked across the street and bandaged him up and cared for him and put him on a donkey and took him to an inn and brought him back to health. He showed love to a man that was in need. Dr. Martin Luther King said this in probably his foremost famous speech. He said this, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Then he said the good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? See, this is in so many ways, it's the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is loving other people. The heart of the gospel is, even if they're different from us, the heart of the gospel, in fact, even maybe more so, the heart of the gospel is loving people even when they are different than us. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. There's a great theologian, his name's Dennis Leary. <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, but he has a line in one of his books, and it says this. It says, racism isn't born, folks, it's taught. It's not born, it's, it's not inherited. There is no racist gene. It's, it's not born, it's taught. He says, I have a two-year-old son, and you know what he hates? Naps. That's what he hates. Right? If you if you got a two-year-old, you know that. A two-year-old doesn't hate somebody else because of the color of their skin. This is something that's taught. It's not something that's inherited. And so why is it? Why is it that over time people become prejudiced? They become racist? Well, I've got three reasons. And by the way, I just would clarify this and say... I am probably the worst person to talk about this because I, I don't have a lot of experience in this, right? And, and so I'm, I'm coming up with a, a few thoughts here, and, and I'm sure there are others, but, but I am by no means probably uh, the, the forerunner in, in how to bring rec racial reconciliation 
Three reasons. One is that maybe, maybe we're a victim of hatred. Or maybe we've experienced that in our life. Maybe someone mistreats us because of the color of our skin. Someone mistreats someone that we love because of the color of their skin. And so we feel like we just can't trust them, and therefore I don't like them, and they don't like me. The second thing is that it's taught. Our, our, our family, we, we don't hang out with those kind of people, right? That, that, they've, been, they've been to whatever, or they do whatever. We don't trust them. We, we buy into stereotypes, and, and they're like, you know what? And it's just, it's, it's passed down from generation to generation to generation. And, and then the third thing is just, and this is my simple form, is that it's just ignorance. It's a lack of perspective. It's a, it's a lack of exposure. They're, they're, they are different, and so I must not like them, uh, no matter what the reason. Right? So, so we, we have to understand this. We have to understand that this, is existent, that this exists. And I, and I think that in some ways we've kind of buried our head in the sand to some extent. And I certainly know that I have that because I, I don't feel like I'm racist. And, and so it, I think we, we, we don't stop it in its tracks or we don't speak out against it when we hear it. And so I want us to just, if you want to take some notes, I, I just think this is so important that racism is not a skin issue. Racism is a sin issue. Let me just say that again because this is really important. Racism isn't a skin issue. What we're talking about today is a sin issue. And I'll show it to you in James chapter 2, verse 9. It says, If you favor someone, uh, if you favor some people over others, what are you doing? It says you are committing a sin. He said you are guilty of breaking the law. I like you because you look like me. My kids can play with your kids because your kids look like my kids. Your son can marry my daughter. My daughter can marry your son because, because we, we, we're alike, us people. Uh, oh, you seem to be in the same economic structure that I'm in. You can hang out with me, right? You, you say, you were raised on this side, and I was raised on this side. You don't listen to the same music, right? You have different color skin. It's like, all of this is like, all of it is sin. And, and I think that we, we, we sometimes are okay with prejudice, but not with racism. We're okay with treating people differently in these other categories, but we know like that's, that's wrong. And I would just say, I would just remind us, James chapter 2, verse 9, if you favor some people over others, you're committing sin. We are committing sin. Anytime we act like that, it's a sin issue. And we have to call it what it is, right? Because it's, it's not right before God, and it should not be right before us. Which raises the big question. As Jesus followers, what do we do, right? How are we called to love our neighbors? How are we called to love those who, who are maybe a little different than us? I, I want to raise three important issues today. And, and with God's help, I hope that as a church, we get this right. I hope that we are part of the solution and not perpetuating the problem. The, 
The first thing is, if we're taking notes, and this is, is so much more difficult than it sounds, but we have to get this one right. Number one, we need, with God's help, to be honest, to be transparent, to be sincere, and we have to recognize our prejudices. Which is really difficult to do because prejudices are so difficult to see in the mirror because often we feel justified in how we might feel against someone else. Even if our prejudice mindset or our racist attitude isn't intentional, it's still real and it's still sin. It could be totally accident. There's a story of a friend who pastors up in, uh, in Washington and he was mowing his lawn. The way he tells the story is much funnier than I tell it. But he was mowing his lawn. And, uh, and a neighbor drives up, rolls down his window, and, and yells out to him and says, Hey, uh, how much do you charge to mow lawns? He was mowing his lawn at his house. And his neighbor asked him, Hey, and I was just going to tell you, I have never had that happen in my life. When I'm mowing my lawn, nobody's ever come and say, Hey, hey white guy, white guy. How much do you charge to, to mow lawns? It just doesn't happen. No one's ever, ever stopped me in, in that capacity. We have to call it what it is. We have to see it in our own hearts. It's wrong. It's prejudice. It's, it's judgmental. It's racist. Call it what it is. It's rude. So what does the word prejudice mean? This is in our notes. It means prejudging. It's a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. And I bet most of us, if we had the courage to, to actually be really honest, we would admit that we are raised most likely with some type of prejudice. Why? Because we are simple people. We are. We are predisposed to making wrong judgments about people. Maybe you grew up thinking that the younger generation, they just simply won't work. Right? Or all pastors, they're just greedy, money-hungry people, right? Why are you laughing about that? That's That's what a lot of people say. Old people, they're they're useless. They can't teach you anything. We grow up thinking certain things, right? White people, they can't jump, right? I mean, like... That's not true. I can jump. Not very high, but I can jump. We just have these, these preconceived ideas, and we have to have the courage to acknowledge it, to admit it, to say, you know what, maybe I am pre- prejudiced about such and such. Let me challenge you by this. One of the things I'm learning about my, my personality, my life, is that I like to challenge and uh, I go head first into challenges, and uh, sometimes it gets me in trouble, but sometimes I think it's something that the Lord's put into my heart to, uh, to bring justice to, to injustice. If you've ever said this statement, listen, I'm not racist, but if those words have ever come out of your mouth that said, I, I'm not racist, but I got to tell you something. 
There is nothing good that ever comes after that word but. Nothing, nothing, nothing. In that context, there is nothing that should... If, if you, I, I'm not a racist, but you're a racist. You have a prejudice. You are about to say something that is, has a negative connotation about some other ethnicity or some other person or people group or whatever, and there's just this prejudice. So we have to acknowledge it. This is challenging. I totally admit that, but as, as a part of a group of people, like we, have to, we have to address it. Listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not proud to admit this, but I have been a part of a group of people that all made a judgment based upon the color of someone's skin. I was on a flight. It was, uh, I had actually totally forgotten about this uh, and uh, until I was, I was going through my notes and I was reminded of it. Um, but it was right after, it was in December of 2011, and so 9-11 had already happened. Everybody was kind of on heightened alert. But then, but then in December, there was the shoe bomber. If, if you remember that. And, uh, and so it was right after the shoe bomber and everybody was just freaking out when they were flying. But it was a Christmas trip and, and I remember getting on the plane and, uh, and there was a man who was clearly of Middle Eastern descent or at least we thought. He gets on the plane as well and sitting a few rows in front of me and everybody's whispering. I mean, it's obvious. It's like they ain't even hiding it. The people are freaking out. And we have people saying, keep an eye on that guy, you know, like, and, and everybody is prepared that if this guy stands up, we are taking him down. And to make matters worse, he's, he's sweating, which probably for obvious reasons, but he's like, he's, he's sweating, but he's talking on the phone in another language. And I mean, just, it was like all of the things were building up and all of a sudden, Nothing happened. We were a part of a group of people that were making a judgment based upon his language, based upon the color of his skin, and yet had he been Asian American, African American, or Caucasian American, everybody would have just assumed that he was sweating because he was sick or had diarrhea or something along those lines, and we wouldn't have thought another thought about it. Now, it takes courage, it takes honesty, it takes integrity to recognize truthfully any prejudices, any racism. And what a lot of people will say is, yeah, but that's understandable because of the environment. We can call it what we want, but it, it was a group of people making a judgment. We have to be honest about it. The second thing is we're going we're gonna to seek to understand others. As I said at the beginning of the message, a very limited perspective on this. And I get that. I know that. I don't, I don't understand how people have been abused or mistreated unfairly. Like, like I just, I don't, I don't, I don't have that context. But it helps me enter into conversation with people who, who maybe have. Right? And so that's what I did. I talked to a few people, some of my friends. I talked to some of our staff. I don't know if you, know, you guys know this, but uh, Miguel, 
our new tech director, whenever he goes to do airplane travel, when he travels out of San Antonio, he gets pulled aside, patted down, his bag checked, and, and like treated differently than, than I do. Because when I get to security, I don't even have to put my liquids in a, in a clear plastic bag. They're just like, uh, you, you ain't, you're, you're harmless. Just go on through, right? I mean, I have to go through the detector. But the funny thing is, is apparently because of, of Miguel's beard, color of his skin, they're like, I don't know about this guy. And, and I'm like, his name's, his last name is Seldanya, right? Like he, he's treated differently because of the way he looks. And, and I, I don't understand that because I don't have that happen in my life. I want to I show you a video of, uh, of some pastors. These are just uh, regular pastors at a, at a large church in the middle of our country, and they're being interviewed by a guy named Craig Rochelle, and uh, he's interviewing some of his, his staff, his pastors, just about some of the challenges that they have faced in their life, but challenges that they continue to face uh, in, in this area of prejudice. So take a look at this. Thank you guys for spending some time to help all of us understand as we're talking about racism, we all come from different backgrounds and have different perspectives. What are some of the experiences that you guys have had? Alan, George, and I, we, we tend to get confused for each other a lot. So Alan George is the church online pastor and people come up to me all the time and say, Pastor Alan, I watch you online all the time. And so when there's a math question in the room, everyone's like, hey, Alan, do you, can you? Like, I have no clue, man. <laughs> Mexican food. <laughs> hey, Sam, how do we season this meat? <laughs> but, but I know. I look like Charles Barkley to everybody. So that happens to me a lot. But actually, mistaken identity is something that I've dealt with before. Uh, I used to be in retail banking. And I actually called somebody, and I was talking to them. And they actually came into the branch looking for Jeremy. And when they got there, and I said, I'm Jeremy, and they were shocked they're like whoa you you didn't sound like that on you sounded like and they caught themselves right before you didn't sound black almost makes you feel like you have to fight harder than everybody else and work harder than any, anybody else and study harder than anybody else just to get an equal opportunity um being a larger of stature black man and uh being a former athlete you dress a certain way when you're outside of the professional realm well, I can tell you that there's been plenty of times when I've gone into a store and I've been browsing, looking around, and I find myself being trailed. And for some reason, I was like, okay, maybe they're just trying to give great customer service. I get followed when I go into the store, and then my husband is white, so when he walks in behind me, then they kind of, okay, we don't need to follow her, she's <laughs> fine, you know? So I get that too, and I'm a tiny little person. You know, just different compliments, like if someone says, oh, well, you're beautiful, or you're intelligent, or mm -hmm. something like that. But then the thing that also gets added to it is for a black girl. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I always, like, I remember the first time that I heard that and how that made me feel, like, to think, like, oh, well, I maybe rise in just this one section. But as far as, like, the, you know, other standards of beauty, like, no, you don't have that. So I know some of you would have experienced challenges as a kid growing up. Who, who has a story or two that that was hard for you? We came to America when I was five years old. And so the name calling from other kids was, was pretty challenging. You didn't, we didn't quite understand why we were being called names like Wetback or Beaner. Uh, they made no sense to us. Those names made no sense, but something inside us just, we, I just knew like, 
that's hurtful. Um, where I was playing with some friends and, you know, they had commented on it and were like, oh, but she has dark skin. And then I'm looking like, what do you mean? Like, what's wrong with my skin? And that just created something that stuck with me for a really long time that I had to bring to the Lord and say, I need healing of this because I feel like I'm less than because of that. Absolutely. I remember growing up um, in a predominantly white area of town um, and being on the playground. And I had a group of kids that wouldn't play with me and I couldn't figure out what the problem was. And then as I was walking by, I overheard them say, um, man, my dad told me that we shouldn't play with niggers. And I was like, wow. I mean, it was, first of all, the first time that I was first reminded that I was black and I had never been called that word before. So what do we do as Jesus followers? I think the first thing we have to do is recognize that Maybe we have prejudices in our own life. I think the second thing we have to do is we have to seek to understand those who, who might be different than us. And the third, if you're, if you're taking notes, is we're going to love those who are different than us. Deeply from our heart. But not because Pastor Ryan says so, but because that's what God says. One of the most moving stories of love that, that crossed the road, like the, the Samaritan man, happened in 1996. It was the summer after my freshman year in Bible college, and, and there was this uh, Ku Klux Klan rally that was taking place in Detroit, Michigan. And the police knew there would be a lot of tension, and so they put up a barrier between the KKK members and those who were protesting the hate, and there was a guy who infiltrated the protester side. He was wearing a, a Confederate flag. He had uh, white supremacist tattoos on his arm. Uh, and uh, a, he was recognizable as somebody who had, had caused a lot of, of problems. And so someone points him out and yells out, kill the Nazi. Kill the Nazi. And he, immediately people started running towards him and started beating him. And, and he was now down on the ground and... And there was an 18-year-old girl named Keisha Thomas, an African-American girl who, who ran from the other side and threw her body over this man to protect him. In fact, this is the, the picture of that, if we have it. So what in the world causes a young teenage girl to put herself at physical risk to protect a man who, if given the opportunity, probably would bring her harm. Who does that? I'll tell you who does it. A committed follower of Jesus. In interviews later on, she said that her, her faith played a big role in this. And, and then said, and I, and I quote, she said, I knew what it was like to be hurt. The, the many times that it happened, I wish someone would have stood up for me. What did she do? What, what did this young woman do? She walked across the street to protect another human being who very likely would have not done the same for her. That, Jesus says, is how you neighbor. 
That's how you do it. In fact, she, now she's got a, a national platform where uh, she speaks on racial reconciliation and is very interested in what she says. She, uh, she was talking about how you, you, you don't have to do like big things to show love to people. Uh, and I'll just I'll quote her when she says, the biggest thing you can do is just be kind to another human being. It, it can come down to eye contact, it can come down to a smile. It doesn't have to be this huge monumental act. What is it? It's just showing love. It's showing decency. It's showing honor and respect and consideration. It's, it's treating another human being like another human being. It's showing the love of Jesus. In fact, you can write this down. What is racism? Racism isn't just the presence of hatred. It's also the absence of love. It's not just, I hate you. It's also the absence of showing, I accept you. I embrace you. You're my brother. You're my sister. It's not just the presence of hatred. It's the absence of love. It's the absence of saying, we are one together, showing love. So how is the world going to know that we're followers of Jesus anyways. Here's what the Bible says, and well, let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that they'll know that we are followers of Jesus by our perfect theology of Scripture. It doesn't say they will know that we are followers of Jesus by our regular church attendance. It doesn't say that they will know that we are followers of Jesus by regularly, regularly tithing and giving and serving on the dream team. It doesn't say that, that they will know that we are followers by attending Life Track and becoming members, uh, certified members of, of the local church. It, it doesn't say any of that. What, what it does say is that they will know that we are followers of Jesus by our love. Our love. If we, if we love one another, not, not loving those who just look like us, or were born where we were born, or educated where we were educated, it's, it's loving our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? Your neighbor is the next person you come into contact with. And how do you love them? You love them the same way you've been loved. See, Jesus came to this earth, and while I was sinning, Jesus died for me. Scripture actually teaches us that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we were good. He didn't die for us because we were a certain ethnicity or, or a certain education level. He, he didn't die for us. He died for all of us, even when we were sinning, for all of us. And so what do I do? I have a responsibility to reflect that same type of love, sacrificial love, to others. I happen to know the, the context of the, the question that came to us last week. And it didn't have anything to do with our church, but this was a person who was visiting another church in, in San Antonio. And I, I am really cautious of ever speaking poorly or, or 
bringing into question other churches or other pastors or any of those things, because I don't always know the context, but I, I think I'm pretty safe on this one. But her and her, her two grown children walk into a church. It's a small church, but, but the pastor comes to the front of the, of the room and, and looks out into, into, the, into the congregation and says, oh, it's, it's really nice to see that we have visitors today. And then he said, I, I hope you'll enjoy your, your visit because I'm sure you'll look forward to going back to your church. Those were the words that came out of a pastor's mouth. And so her two adult children got up and left and have never been back to church again. And we can say it happens in other places. The question is, is are we willing to say, God, is there areas of my life in which I have prejudice? Because racism isn't just the presence of hate, it's the absence of love. Galatians 3.28 says there, this is Paul speaking, there's all kinds of racial tension as it revolves around those who are Christian in the first early century days. And Paul says it like this, he said, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? He's like, don't give me this Jew and Gentile nonsense. It's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all what? He said, you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we get to heaven, we're, we're, we're all going to be represented there. I don't know if you know that or not. Just recognize this. When, when John had a vision of heaven, here's what he said in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. This is so powerful, and I, I hope you can picture this in your mind. He, he saw heaven, and he said, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Where were they from? They were from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to my people groups, God. No, that's not what they yelled out. They, they yelled out, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. Who does it belong to? It belongs to to our God, not my God, not your God, our God. Holding hands with people from different tribes, different nations, different languages, saying that's how good our God is. That if we could spend eternity in heaven together, is it possible that we could share a meal with someone here on earth? That's how to neighbor that's how we love one another. Heaven will be full, and we might as well begin having heaven on earth. It's unacceptable to God, and it should be unacceptable to us. And you can say, Brian, I get it. I'm not racist. But the moment that you listen to a racist joke, you're perpetuating the problem and not stopping it. Let me close with Romans chapter 10. We'll look at verse 13. Verse 12, I think, is in your notes, but we'll look at verse 13. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You, you know what the, the Greek word for everyone there is, right? What the definition is? Everyone. That's what it means. It doesn't mean some. It doesn't mean for those people. It doesn't mean no matter like what background you're in or what. It, it, it's everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, but I want to show you what, what comes exactly before that verse. Because right before it, there's, this, there's an issue of race. This, this is what it says. It says, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Now read it in that context. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation belongs to our God. Jesus didn't say, like, who to neighbor. He just shows us how to neighbor. Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, all of our strength. And because he loved us when we didn't deserve it, what do we do? We love our neighbors ourselves. And I believe that every single one of us, every one of us can be a small part of the solution because we've been so changed by the love of God that the only thing we could do is love each other. We just take a moment and pause because I don't think that any of us will get anything out of this unless we just pause for a moment and ask the Lord, God, is there any place in my life that I've allowed prejudice to creep in? Is there any part of my life that I treat people differently than others? And just take a moment, and in a second we're going to receive the elements of communion, but I want us to just sit for a second and ask the Lord that.